Simply Three has traditionally performed string covers of songs by artists like Adele, Coldplay, Ed Sheeran, and Michael Jackson. They are diehard fans of the band Muse. So what happens when they take on an album of hymns and what made them want to do it in the first place? The electrifying trio of Glenn McDaniel, Nick Villalobos, and Zach Clark, together known as Simply Three, has been captivating audiences worldwide with high-octane performances since 2010. The trio, which has 1.45 million subscribers on YouTube, seeks the true essence of classical crossover with original works as well as innovative arrangements. Their new album, All Amazed, is available now through Deseret Book. This is All In, an LDS Living podcast where we ask the question, what does it really mean to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm Morgan Pearson, and I am so honored to have the three gentlemen that make up Simply Three with me today, Zach, Nick, and Glenn. Welcome to all three of you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for having us. Hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is such a treat to have you all on and to have you together. Thank you so much for being willing to do this. Um, I want to start off the interview. Nick and Zach, you first met in the ninth grade. And I wondered, what do you think it was that caused you guys to hit it off and begin a lifelong friendship? And how have you been able to continue to to build that friendship over time? Had to have been my good looks, you know, <laughs> just right away. <laughs> oh, boy. No, no, no. Just kidding. I mean, I did have hair back then, though, you know, so. It's true. You had a full head, full head of hair. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like, I mean, we met in Allstate in ninth grade, Arizona Allstate Orchestra. So, obviously, we both knew that we each had a passion for music, and we had made it into Allstate in ninth grade, and and so we had that in common and we're, you know, excited and, uh, you know, lower strings, cello bass, you know, there's a little, uh, a little, uh, unity there, you know, a little fellowship. But, uh, I mean, I just thought Nick was super cool. He also skateboarded and I was into skateboarding as well. And so we just kind of already hit it off and the music thing, the skateboarding, you know, we were both members of the church. So there's just a lot in common. And I mean, I, I'll speak for myself, I guess, like Nick has always been the easiest friendship. And I mean that in the best of ways, you know, like it just was natural and, you know, just always excited, always great conversation. You know, I just feel like we, we always hit it off just understanding each other, just our personalities, you know, just, I feel like it was always easy from the beginning. Maybe Nick will say something different. <laughs> Nick's like, absolutely no. not. It's actually been the hardest friendship. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, I, I agree with everything that Zach said. Maybe just a little more detail, though. And I'm sure other people have had this experience, too. When you meet somebody that is as passionate or even more passionate about something that you're passionate about, it's, like a, it's, a, it's a pretty special thing, I think, because I don't think that happens all the time. I mean, people have best friends for a reason, right? Because like, there's like a, there's like a something special that happens there. And I think, and I think that happened with me and Zach, when we first met, there was kind of just like an energy about music, especially like we were both in ninth grade and like all in to music, you know, (laughs) we were, we were all, we were all about the strings. We were all about orchestra, learning the repertoire, being as good as we could. 
and uh, always trying to push ourselves musically. And I think that's what that was like the main thing that that drove me to that drew me to Zach was like his passion for music and just his excitement for for life and for music in general. And uh, he gets excited about a lot of things, and it's very it's very uh, infectious. So I think, and all the other things he said too. You know, we had we found out that we had a lot of things in common. It made it even made it even a better a better friendship for us. Well, I found out when we first got on this call that Zach and Nick are also shoe collectors. So uh, I can tell that you guys get excited about a lot of things. And I love that. Glenn, I I wanted to ask you, did you have any hesitation? Because I think hesitation would be a very natural feeling when joining a trio where two of the guys have been friends forever. Were you concerned at all about that? Not particularly. And I say that in the sense of it didn't cross my mind in the way of consideration when I was thinking about joining the group. It's something that I've noticed, of course, just being the newcomer that, you know, these guys have a formidable bond that was first forged at a very young age. So there are things that, yes, one notices, but I wouldn't say there is hesitancy because I think I don't find that to be a deterrent. I think, if anything, joining something where two people are that connected, especially when they are two of just three people in a band or a business or whatever, I think that's something that's nice to be to be a part of because you are walking into something that you know has a solid foundation of trust established, at least in our case two-thirds of the way through. So no, not really any kind of hesitancy. That makes a lot of sense. I love that point that you made. Did you have any hesitancy? Did you even know that both Zach and Nick were members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints when you joined? And if so, or if not, what was your impression of the church before deciding to join up with, with these two? Yeah, I I believe I grew to know that they were members of the church. Um, It had 0% impact of whether or not I wanted to be a part of this group because someone's religious subscription really doesn't have a strong bearing on what we're doing artistically. And even if it does, that's something, that's just a conversation. So yeah, there was no, there was no regard for joining the group because of something like faith and what you tie yourself to. My impression of the church before joining the group was, I mean, I was already familiar with the church to to a degree anyway. So my impression was that it was just another kind of denomination, so to speak, of, of Christianity. And that was really that. I mean, I've asked so many questions since joining the group because you know you you hear whispers of like this is what this denomination believes this is what they believe and it's like well i just want to i want to hear it from the horse's mouth so i i mean you can ask the guys i ask them tons of questions just because i'm a curious person by nature and then i am told i ask probably too many questions not by nick and zach but other people in my life and yeah i just i love receiving information because this subject is something that I'm fascinated by, regardless of like what branch of the faith it 
it is regarding. So I just, I really love having these kinds of good faith dialogues. And Glenn, you are a person of faith yourself. Tell me a little bit about your background as it relates to faith. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm a Texas boy, so it's probably not a surprise to hear that I grew up in the Southern Baptist Convention. Um, I grew up, yes, in a Baptist church, um, a lot of charismatic experiences in that way. Yeah, I, I don't I don't know what else to say beyond that. I mean, maybe it's maybe it's important to include include that my mother is uh, South Korean. So I also experienced my mother's expression of Christianity through her, through her heritage. And that's also very interesting for me. Um, so yeah, my, my background has been kind of a blur of this sort of Southwestern Southern Baptist convention mixed with a very Korean United Methodist, I guess you could say, upbringing. And, and your mother, Glenn, she's an immigrant to the United States. Is that right? That's correct. I'm curious, how did that influence your growing up and your love for music? I mean, I think it actually had a, a huge impact. My mom came to the United States in 1976 and has only been back to Korea two times since immigrating. And the first time of those two instances came I want to say in 2014. So a very large gap between first immigrating and then returning to to her home. But in South Korea, in Seoul, which is where she grew up, music and the arts in general are just very, they're, they're a focal point in a child's secondary education. So my mom has a very strong musical understanding of things. And so I actually got started um, in music because she wanted me to. She she loves the violin and piano. Those are her two favorite instruments. And she just always wanted to play both of them, but she didn't have the means. Her family uh, was very poor, as you might expect. That's She has the, the classic immigrant story. And yeah, she definitely molded me in the ways of wanting to learn the craft and learn the joys of uh, expressing yourself through music. So my mother is the reason why I do what I do now. I say that with a grain of salt because she's going to probably hear this and rub it in my face because she loves to do that sort of thing too. (laughs) Uh, Well, actually, and I love, I love the way you said that, that she wanted you to express yourself through music. And I think that's something that having watched, especially Zach, I've had the chance to watch Zach perform in person. Um, And so watching somebody perform music with the kind of emotion that Zach has when he plays the cello, I think is just so cool to see. How do you think that the three of you, like what role has your music played in allowing you to express feeling and emotion in a way that you might not otherwise be able to? Man, that's a, I mean, so that's a deep one. We're in the deep end now. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, I mean, I kind of just want to say like what you said, like music allows us to express emotions that we couldn't <laughs> otherwise. The thing I love the most about music, and actually I had this experience in ninth grade, speaking of ninth grade, you know, meeting Nick in Allstate, 
right before all state, I was in regionals. You know, you got to do regionals first. It's like, and, uh, it's like the, what's that show where they were singing? Like, glee. Stuff. Yeah, it's like Glee. And they're like, we got to make it to regionals. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's right. I forgot. Like the whole first season, they're trying to get the regionals or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we got to get the regionals, the road to regionals. And, uh, well, we played one of the most beautiful pieces, arguably, ever written nimrod which is one of the enigma variations by edward elgar and it was also like my first experience playing in like a good orchestra like it was better than any orchestra i'd played in in my schools you know or anything so far and i just had an incredible experience the conductor taught us like the background of that piece and about all the enigma variations how they had an actual personal meaning to elgar like he wrote them for specific people in his life and he even wrote one for his wife you know, and so like that brought the music so much poignancy, so much power. And I remember playing that music in for regionals just in like that first rehearsal. And I had overwhelming goosebumps, emotions. I, I you know, I, I couldn't I couldn't believe that music, that specific music, uh, could could bring me the feelings that Elgar felt all those years ago. It's like a, like in a way music is like a time capsule. It like preserves the exact emotions of the person who penned it. Doesn't, you know, it could be decades, centuries ago. And it's pretty incredible to me. You know, that was my first real profound kind of epiphany with music and this incredible emotion that, that, that you can have these emotions that I, I didn't even understand as a ninth grader, you know, Elgar understood these things way better than I did, but I felt them. And that to me is such an, the incredible thing about music is that you can feel these things, you know, we write music. So, you know, we can feel things that we wrote, you know, that came from us, but you can play things that you did not write and you can f- therefore feel things that perhaps you've never felt before. I mean, this is like a deep thing, but that to me, that's why I love music. That's awesome. I was going to say that. I was going to say, it's kind of wild that you can feel something that like a ninth grade kid wouldn't know anything about. Yeah, exactly. Um, but I think that's awesome. Uh, Nick and Glenn, anything you'd add to that about emotions and music? Yeah. Everything that Zach said, I've had similar experiences as well. I think that I think I have a different I have different emotional experiences listening to music and then actually playing music. And I don't know if one is better than the other, but I can tell you that they are very different. I've been in concerts listening to people sing or play instruments and it's touched me to the to the heart where I've cried and smiled and you know felt all those emotions. I think I think a lot of people can relate to that. But there's something very different when you are the one making the sounds <laughs> and like making the music. And I'm sure Glenn will touch on this because we've talked about this before, but there's something very magical about playing with a hundred people on stage in like a symphony and you're all like moving for one purpose. Everybody has different parts that all interconnect and intertwine to make like beautiful chords and moments. And 
it's crazy that it's all, it's all stuff that you're actually doing. Like the instruments themselves on stage don't do anything. They need to be played by people with emotions and with different experiences to make that performance happen. And it's, it's an insane feeling. And, uh, again, like the feelings within different ensembles are different, like playing with a symphony orchestra with, you know, 80 to a hundred people on stage, you get different feelings from that as as opposed to playing with just in simply three, where it's just myself, Zach and Glenn. But I mean, we can, it's, it's amazing. The, the feelings and emotions you get making the music as opposed to just listening to it. And if you can get involved in making music, I feel like it'll be a great blessing to anybody who tries to do so. Cause there's a lot to learn from making music. Obviously there's like the discipline part about it and all the, I guess, logistical things about making music that make people better people. But the actual feelings that come from making music with people, it it brings people together in a way that I think very few things can. When you have that type of experience with people on stage, it's, it, it definitely connects you, which is cool. So just thinking about your original question of how, playing music or playing an instrument can help you express. For me, I think about this idea of vulnerability when trying to be expressive. And I think the way in which music helps in that way is that it removes or it can help remove this, this sense of fear of how someone might respond to you. And when that fear is removed, a person I think is then able to be more vulnerable. So with something like a musical instrument, you're expressing, you're expressing yourself through a tool that simply receives. It doesn't respond because it can't respond back to you in the way that a person would. So with that, with something that you're channeling all of your sentiment and your emotional thoughts through and having it just receive that i think it allows you to be more vulnerable because it removes that sense of fear of oh i might be i might be judged in return for whatever i'm trying to express beautifully said thank you all so much those i love how uh, your answers all kind of complemented one another uh zach and nick both of you have served missions for the church and i wondered as anybody that has done anything whether it be athletically or musically knows a decline in practice tends to lead to a decline in skill So I wondered, how did that affect your musical abilities? And were you able to practice or use your music on your mission at all? Yeah, I'll go first. Yes. (laughs) Just kidding. Uh, Yeah, I actually got lucky. My mission president decided to make a mission music group in the Christmas seasons. There happened to be a lot of musical talent that came out on my mission along with me. And uh, our president, you know, recognized that and had the idea to start a mission music group uh, just for Christmas time. So I got to, it was a surprise. I'd been out for a few months and got a surprise that he had been in contact with my parents already and they had shipped my cello. And I, I served in Scotland. So I was like, whoa, like I've never shipped my cello. Wow. Like, 
you know, <laughs> anywhere, let alone overseas. But it had already been done, you know, and there it was in the in the office, you know, when I went to pick it up. And, and so I was able to practice a little bit just in the Christmas season. Uh, there were a couple other opportunities, you know, since I had it to kind of play musical numbers throughout the year. But I would never practice. You're spending all your time trying to plan a meaningful activity every day and trying to follow Preach My Gospel and and the White Handbook. And, and uh, you know, so I didn't practice, you know, at all you know, on a daily basis. Um, but two Christmases, you know, got to get it out. And, and, uh, you know, I think that did help a little bit, you know, because when I got home after my mission, it only took me like a day. And I felt like I was back, like riding the bike, just like I'd left it. Like it was very fast getting back into it after my mission. So, you know, I guess there's no way of knowing if that would have still happened if I had, didn't have my cello at all, but you know, I'm sure, I'm sure it did help a little bit, you know, having it, having it there. I got lucky. For sure. For sure. Nick? I didn't have very many opportunities to play the bass on my mission. I went to Orlando, Florida. But I, w- I would say that I was pretty involved with music. Just I was doing a lot of singing and stuff. There was a lot of uh, elders and sisters that liked to sing, and they put little little groups together to sing for you know different sacrament meetings and other other events. So I did a lot of that. I did a lot of singing on my mission while I was like riding my bike, just, you know, thinking of songs and, you know, (laughs) whistling away and stuff. And I think I also wanted to not let people know that I was a musician in a way, just so I could like, I don't know, maybe like be a new person. They always say like, forget yourself and go to work. So I think I tried to, I tried to do that a little bit, but it soon got out that I did, that I was a musician, that I had been studying music in college and there was one ward that said one of them was like, Oh, my son plays the bass. You should play, you know, a musical number. And I was like, okay, I'll do it. But I just want to make sure that your son plays the bass, right? Not the cello. Like it's, it's, the, <laughs> it's the big one. Right. And, she, and they're like, Oh yeah, it's huge. And I was like, okay, sure. And so I showed up for like the rehearsal, which was like the same day as the, it was on Sunday. And it, and was, it was a cello. It was definitely a cello. <laughs> <laughs> and so I was like, oh crap, I better figure this out. So I was playing just the melodies. So I played cello a little bit in high school and stuff. So I kind of figured that out and I don't even remember if it was good or not, but you know, <laughs> Amazing. They, were so, they were appreciative of it. So. so, so I got to play the cello on my mission and you got to play the cello on your mission. But kind of like what Zach said, when I did get back and actually got my hands on an actual bass, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't a day for me. That's where I felt good. I would say like a week, like after a week, I was like, all right, I'm, I'm back. I can play all the things I played before, you know, felt good about that. So okay. it definitely came back quickly, but I think, it, I think the more you think about something, you know, I was thinking about music a lot on my mission and being involved in, in music in a way. So right. I don't know. I, I never felt like I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm losing all my skills or anything like that. Yeah. You mentioned like in the beginning of this conversation about when you stop practicing, it tends to lead to a, a stop, you know, stopping the skill and stuff. That was definitely, it was definitely a big deal for me to leave. I was at the Cleveland Institute of Music for my freshman year. And all of my like colleagues around me thought I was crazy. Like they legitimately were concerned for me for putting the instrument away for two years. I even had some friends where I was like, 
I feel like you're not being a friend to me right now. <laughs> like I was like, like I understand your concern and that's good. But like, they were kind of like, like you're crazy. Like you're dumb. I was like, Oh, Oh, that's kind of a bummer. Yeah. You know, but I mean, you can understand, I can understand that, you know, when you're, when you're super focused, you're in a conservatory, you're, you know, you're practicing every day, you're stretching, you know, it's like, you think even a couple days is going to like kill you, you know? So they're like two years. What are you thinking? You know? So sure. anyway, you know, I had no question that I wanted to go on a mission. You know, I had made that decision a, a long ago. And so it wasn't a question for me, you know, and obviously like Nick just described too, like we, we came back and we just picked up right where we left off. I mean, honestly, if not better, because I feel like in a way, like clearing my head and just getting life experience and coming back to it. I mean, most of any skill obviously happens in your mind. You know, there are obviously some physical things to, you know, to everything and some more than others, but mental practice, your brain, like the way you think of practice, how you organize, like, your goals and what you're specifically trying to achieve. That's all in your mind. That's all, that's all mental, man. Like 95% of it, you know? So I feel like I was even just clearer and, and more precise, you know, with my practice when I got back, you know, for whatever reason. Right. Anyway. Well, I realized that I should tell you that the, the decrease in practice theorem is actually a Spencer Jones. So these guys know my brother Spencer <laughs> and we used to play basketball in the backyard. And one day he was giving me a hard time about something. And he's like, Morgan, like a decrease in practice leads to a decrease in skill. And so we've always joked that that is his theorem, but uh, yeah. we may or may not have disproven it today. No, I'm just kidding. I know, right? <laughs> okay. I no. wondered, tell me about how this album that you guys have coming out, kind of how it came to be the idea behind it, why you're excited about it. And then I'm curious, Zach and Nick, how you have been grateful for Glenn's willingness to participate in something like this, that's faith-based and working with a church owned media entity. That's a good question. So I'm just going to speak for myself and I, I don't know. I don't know if I've actually asked Zach and Glenn about this, but I never thought that we would do a faith-based album. And for Zach and I, like hymns from the LDS church. Uh, when we started this group, I think in the back of my mind, I felt like a lot of people were going to be like, when are you going to do a hymns album? And, you know, right fairly so. But I feel like I never really wanted to do it. I kind of wanted to have this group just not be a part of any type of faith-based organization separation of church and state (laughs) yeah separation of church and simply three exactly so i was thinking like hey we're just gonna do what we want to do and our manager her name is gina Orr. she has worked with the church a lot in the past she was the manager for david archuleta she's currently managing nathan pacheco who has done several albums for deseret book and i want to say about a year and a half ago, a year ago or so, she like floated the idea by me kind of just in passing. She was like, Hey, what do you think about doing an album with Deseret? And I was like, a hymns album? She's like, yeah, it would be a, definitely would have to be a hymns album. <laughs> I said, 
I don't know. Like, I guess she's like, I think, you know, it'd be a good, it'd be a good deal for you guys. And I think you guys would do well in that market. I know the market. I know the people at Deseret, you know, I think it could be a really good relationship. And so I kind of thought about it and I said, you know, I'll ask Zach and Glenn, see what they think. And, uh, talk to Zach about it first. I think I forget. He was, I, I wasn't really like worried how he would react per se, but I think I, I think I was apprehensive about asking Glenn to be a part of a LDS organizational, you know, based out a based album because in the past he has, I think he has expressed to me that he wants to make sure that he's, you know, he's not a part of our church. Not that there's anything wrong with being a part of our church, but he's not. So he doesn't want people to think that he is. And so I kind of had that in the back of my mind. And when I did ask Glenn, I was, he was very much on board too, because he saw the opportunity to kind of go into a new market, do some new things. So that's kind of how it came about. It was, it wasn't any of our doing. It kind of just came and kind of just was presented to us pretty much on a silver platter. <laughs> but I got to be honest, this has been a very great relationship. Very, very easygoing. The people at Deseret are so nice. They're so accommodating and uh, just willing to work with, with us on an artistic standpoint, which we really appreciated. Zach and Glenn, anything you'd add to that? Yeah. Uh, Glenn? I'm like you don't you don't have I was gonna to say I was just gonna say yeah like I feel like I feel like Glenn should uh you know that's like a good chance for Glenn to reply but but yeah that I do recall that like you know it kind of just what Nick said kind of happened to us and I I know that I remember Nick I feel like Nick just kind of came to me and said yeah Glenn's cool with it I was like oh okay sick like <laughs> I also wasn't sure you know you know what what how Glenn was gonna feel about it and you know, cause that was never kind of like what Nick was saying. We were never kind of intending to do that kind of thing in the band. So, you know, he joined the band, you know, thinking we were doing covers, we're doing originals, you know, rock pop. Yeah. You know? And so I was like, Oh, sick. Okay. Yeah. I mean, this is great. You know, I'm, I'm down to do it. Of course. And I was, I was happy. And, and you, you mentioned grateful. Yeah, definitely. Very, very grateful, you know, for Glenn being willing to do this. Cause you know, we don't, we don't want people to get the wrong idea of, of anyone good or bad, you know? So I was, I'm very grateful that Glenn was willing to do it. And, and yeah, I'll, I'll let Glenn jump in and speak to all this. Yeah. I I've always known that the guys have held space and have wanted to honor, I guess my lack of affiliation with the church for transparency sake, you know, I, and that's a reason for me why if there were an apprehension, I don't want to say there, that there was, I didn't want to do something for an LDS entity and be broadcast in a way that would make people think that I'm something that I'm not or a part of something that I'm not necessarily a part of. And oh, like, because that didn't speak to who I am in an honest way. And I, I really appreciate transparency. So if there has been hesitancy in doing something like this, it's been for those reasons. And I know the guys have always been sensitive to that when asking me, my thoughts on pursuing anything that's affiliated with something that, I mean, any of us are a part of or are not a part of. So that's, yeah, that's pretty I, much I, it. I think that came up with like a, a gig we played, you know, it was like a political thing, you know? So we were like, Hey, 
uh, are we comfortable playing at this political event? You know, like yeah. we, we do, we do make sure to discuss things, you know, like, like what Glenn is saying, you know, at right. time there is, you know, maybe the wrong idea or certain feelings may be had, you know, for sure. Right. That makes complete sense. Okay. So I'm curious, you guys have, and Bart Olson gave me a heads up on this one. I was trying to get Intel on all of you from different sources. So my brother told me about the shoes and then Bart Olson told me that you're like huge muse fans oh, and yeah. that you've seen muse like a crazy number of times. So you have kind of unique music taste for a band of string players. And I think it comes through in your music. When people watch your videos and and listen, they'll see that it kind of influences the way that you approach the songs that you cover, or in this case, these hymns. But how do you feel like you're able to channel that emotion that we talked about earlier into an album of hymns? Oh, no, this is, this is the question. <laughs> Go ahead, Glenn. I know we all have a lot to say on this one. Well, I mean, I think if I could be so bold and in this moment speak for, for all of us and the guys can also chime in and agree or disagree, um, I think the, the energy that we always approach any album with, not just this particular album, is how can we do this in a way that feels different and how can we do it in a way that expresses what we wanted to express while also honoring our artistic integrity. And for me, that's always been the approach for most things with the violin, but then with this album, yeah, I think that is definitely how I dove in with a lot of this and I, I feel like just the, the influences that you have like muse or any other artistry that's shaped your, your personality just kind of comes along for the ride. And then the way you shape the album, I feel like everything is just becomes a byproduct of all of those things. Yeah. And I want, uh, Speaking of Muse specifically, listen to If You Could Hide a Collab. By the way, the album is out now. It's out everywhere worldwide. It's called All Amazed. And so you can go listen right now. Uh, but if you're hearing my voice, go listen to If You Could Hide a Collab. <laughs> and <laughs> and you will and if you know Muse, you will you will feel some Muse in there. And I wanna I wanna ask Nick to talk about uh his vision. He arranged If You Could Hide a Collab. And, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure Muse was a bit of an influence on that one, Nick, but I, I know you just wanted to capture the grandiose feeling of the universe as well. And I know Muse has that, a lot of that feeling as well. Yeah, I think, I think we always try to capture some type of Muse-ness in our, in our music because, I mean, we think they're great. And, uh, muse is your muse, if you muse will. Is, yeah, oh, muse yeah. is my muse, and, and, I, and I do and I will. <laughs> Yeah, they're they're great. They're big inspirations for us. I think kind of to 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 backtrack just a little bit, when we were approached by finally, like after, you know, Gina did her thing and then we had a call with Bart to kind of talk about artistically what we wanted this album to be. And both Glenn and Zach and I, we were well, all of us were like, we wanna do what we wanna do. Like if we if they're gonna like handcuff us and make and have us make a an album that we don't like, we're not going to do it. Like, I don't care. 
<laughs> we want we want to make sure that that we're happy with the music. Yeah. So I remember when we asked Bart, like we were kind of like kind of giving him like softball questions about music, like you know, what do you think about this? Like, could we have some drums in it? Like, I don't know. Like, you know, what if we did some electric instruments? And I was so relieved, and he was like, "We want you guys to do what you do." And we were like, "Oh, sweet! This is going to be fun." And uh, so. With that in mind, we kind of we kind of felt free to to do whatever we wanted, and, yeah. and you know we we definitely wanted to respect the music. We weren't gonna like you know go absolutely crazy, but we wanted to have some type of rock feel to the hymns. You know, I think I think the the church hymns need a little kick in the pants sometimes, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'm glad we're able to do that. And with if you could hide a collab specifically there was definitely a lot of muse inspiration there's an arpeggiator in there and right at the beginning of the verse and um muse uses a arpeggiator a lot too and i always get the feeling of like flying and or like being in space whenever i whenever a song has like especially like a fast arpeggiator which this one does and i really wanted to give the feeling of flying through space like and seeing collab and like you know i i I envisioned this our track of if you could hide a collab being like the soundtrack of what god was listening to when he created the universe and like the earth (laughs) there's a lot of drums you know you know if you're creating a universe and a planet you're moving like humongous things together and things are exploding you know who knows what went into that but i think it was like a raucous event there was violence involved you know yeah, it wasn't just a reverent calm event <laughs> yeah it wasn't like oh let's you know they're I'll moving the yeah they're moving monumental things around to create the universe which is like the biggest thing that we know right <laughs> and so i had a lot of fun with that one and it was it, it was it was great to be able to bring bring that vision to light. It's, it's always, it's always very rewarding to have something in your head actually come to reality. I don't know if anybody else wants to dive in on, you know, some other tracks or. Yeah. And I'm, I'm curious, Nick, would you say that that is your favorite track? Uh, no, it's not. <laughs> okay. okay, so I want to get, get everybody's favorite track and then we'll get into our That's last good. question. I will say that this album is my favorite album that we've done. And it's funny because it's the most recent one too. And usually that's everyone's favorite, but honestly, like this is my favorite album that we've done. And I think it's because I grew up listening to most of these songs. We have some songs that aren't inherently LDS, like how great that Art," amazing grace, you know, Glenn, Glenn knew those songs as well. And he, and he learned other, other ones specifically for this album, but I'm, I'm proud of this one because these are all songs that we grew up listening to in a certain way. And we made them extremely different, which I'm very proud of. And I like all of them to be honest, but if I were to pick a favorite, I know which one Glenn's going to pick. So I'm going to let him have that one. (laughs) And so my, my favorite is, it's funny. I'm probably going to pick the one that Zach's going to pick. My favorite is Amazing Grace. And I love this version. Oh, we also worked with our friend Drew Griffin. He did 
the arrangements for about half of the album. And he did Amazing Grace. And he's a very dear friend of ours. He's a violist and composer that lives in New York. We've worked with him on other projects as well. And he grew up knowing this piece as well. And I just think he did such a killer job with this arrangement. There's new chords and he combined amazing grace with my chains are gone in such like a, such a beautiful way. And, uh, I think for those reasons, amazing grace is my favorite. And for those reasons, I'm out. Oh, Actually, I was going to pick a different one, Nick, but yeah, amazing. So I, nice. I, yeah, I, I do agree with Nick. Like this is just such a special album, especially to, to me, you know, and Nick growing up with the, with the hymns, kind of like what he was saying, because we, and, and I just got so happy when Nick was talking about how he was like, yo, if they're going to handcuff us and force us to do this album, some, some pretty little hymns album, you know, this is polite, nice music, you know, that we're out <laughs> for that reason. I'm out. Like we would have said that. I, I got so happy when he was talking about that because I remember when Bart love you, Bart, by the way, so glad you brought up Bart Olson. Bart has been just incredible. He's such a great guy and just a pleasure, 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 pleasure to work with every step of the way. So respectful and polite. But I remember what Nick was talking about when he said, we want simply three. We want you guys to do your thing. Just ready, set, go free reign. You know, like Nick said, we're not going to do like uh, a slip knot or, you know, uh, <laughs> like some weird, we obviously knew, like Nick was saying, we're not going to be like sacrilegious or whatever to, to the hymns. And I mean, maybe some people would think we already did actually, but you know, uh, to, to a small degree, but you can't uh, please everyone. Can't please everyone. But like when he said, we want you guys to do your thing. Oh my gosh. That was like such an incredible feeling. And so the entire time we're like working with Drew on, on half the arrangements and then, you know, Nick, you know, and, and like we're, we're met, we're trying to do the other half that entire experience was such a high point for me and maybe for all of us. It was such a high point in a lot of ways. It was like a high point in creativity. We were so excited. Like Drew would send demos of the arrangements and I would just start laughing and just like hysterically, like I'm so excited. <laughs> I was like, this is so sick. Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Like that, that was the feeling of making this album. And it's because Deseret Book, you know, Bart Olson and all of them let us do our thing with it. And, you know, whoever needs to hear that, <laughs> like that's an important thing to have in a relationship between someone that's producing and someone that's creating. We had, you know, we were free. Like, and I, and I feel like we also, we, we reached a couple hurdles, you know, in the album and we kind of had to have a deadline and a little bit of a push and that actually kicked us into overdrive. And I feel like we really rose to the occasion and our creativity just like was maxed out. It was like, not, not maxed out, but like it went to a whole other level and it was just, oh my gosh, it was just such an incredible experience. So I just got so happy. I just wanted to talk about that because that's probably the best thing about this album is that like we, we really did put our stamp and our style on every single track on this album and we're so excited and so proud of it. And like Nick was saying, kind of the whole point of this, what I'm saying is, is that 
seeing these these hymns in such a different way and in such an exciting way with all of our musical flavor and taste and prowess like all over them is such a satisfying thing and i'm so grateful that we were able to do that uh zach correct me if i'm wrong you guys but i don't think zach has actually given us a song that's his favorite i was gonna say so which one is your favorite i was about to say it and then i saw you were gonna talk so i let you (laughs) talk so my favorite i do have several favorites amazing grace is one of my favorites but my favorite right now is come thou fount it is or come thou fount of every blessing that's a really good one it is oh my gosh we had steve gould who's an incredible drummer record drums to this and you know we sent him like a demo you know of what the drums were kind of supposed to be like for a reference and he sent back you know his his recording and he just slayed it and he added extra all these extra things and it is the most i think it's the most energetic and most fun song on the album and i i love music that's that you know that gives me that excitement anyway and uh yeah we call it i think we've labeled it like a fiddle rock version i think that's it it's definitely it's definitely wait celtic celtic rock right <laughs> is that what it is i like i like fiddle rock fiddle, fiddle rock, rock version yeah. of, um, that found of the group list yeah it's so much fun <laughs> that's awesome well i really quick before we get to glenn i just want to say Shout out to Bart Olson, who really is one of the best people in the world. There was this time where I was trying to help. My dad wanted to help this kid in our ward, and he had just moved to Utah, and he wanted to get into music. And I, like, mentioned it to Bart, and I'm pretty sure Bart, like, called him and gave him, like, a job the same day or something. So Bart is amazing. He (laughs) really is, like, the best guy. So uh, shout out to Bart. Glenn, which song is your favorite? Well, before I dive into that, I just had a couple of quick comments. I wanted to go back and answer something you kind of asked before, you know, you, you were mentioning Muse and if there are any other tracks we could recommend. If anyone listening is fond of muse or knows their music a little bit more intimately you could also listen to i know that my redeemer lives that one is filled with a lot of motifs and kind of compositional techniques that muse uses a lot in their music in the way of interludes and and motives and things like that so that one's a lot of fun as well also when i said earlier i am a curious person i i know about half of the hymns because about half the album is filled with hymns that are that are kind of universal hymns not just lds specific but there were many that i that i was very unfamiliar with and one of them was if i could hide a collab and being the curious person that i am and not being familiar with pretty much anything lds i i came to the guys and i was like y'all i need to know what a collab is like what I don't, I don't know what this is. Glenn, if it makes you feel any better, a lot of people in the church probably also have no idea. What yeah. Okay, yeah. well, cool. So Nick, Nick, you know, told me what it was about, and then he had me listen to the arrangement, and the arrangement made a lot of sense given what he told me about about the idea of collab and and this and that. <laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, cool, gotcha. All that said, Redeemer 
and Kolob. Neither of them are my favorite. My favorite is Near My God to Thee. And it's my favorite for two large reasons. The first of which is it is completely string driven. There's nothing else going on in it. And that's my favorite sound that we produce. Just this large, lush string sound. I mean, we're obviously biased with that kind of of sound. And so it's probably not surprising that it's my favorite thing to hear coming from us, but it's just, there's just something so personal and so organic about the collective string sound. Um, I think it's because it's the closest thing you can get to just hearing a person using their actual voice to speak or sing. I think that's why it resonates with me so much. So yeah, it's really beautiful in that way of string sounds, but it's also just such a great journey of what I believe faith takes a person through, which isn't always pretty. It's not sunshine and puppies and all of that stuff. There, with faith and faith journeys, I feel like there often comes a lot of cognitive, cognitive dissonance. And I think this arrangement of near my God to thee really highlights that side of a person's faith journey where you are filled with questions and filled with doubt and maybe wander quite a bit. And I just feel like, again, because I, I enjoy transparency and honesty that this is a very honest representation of a full arc of a faith journey. And it speaks to me in that way. So I think it will probably be in the number one placeholder for a while for me as it pertains to this particular album. Well, I am so excited to listen now. My last question for you guys is the question that we ask at the end of every episode of this podcast. And I, I made sure before we, we started to make sure that everybody knew that this question is something that we've asked not just members of our faith, but members of other Christian faiths as well. And we wanted to have a question that was able to be answered by any Christian. And so the last question I wanted to ask, and I'd love to get each of your take on it, is what does it mean to you to be all in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Beautiful. Uh, I'll go first. I might say something a, a little bit generic, but to me, it's the most important principle. And that is that we are all equal. Every human being is just as equal as the other. And I think it kind of doesn't matter what your faith is. I think most of us humans believe that, you know, and and when you get down to it, you know, it's like the golden rule, you know, it's like, love, love your neighbor, you know, uh, just love, you know, all you need is love. You know, I'm, I'm the biggest Beatles fan here. Yeah. (laughs) And, and, you know, I, I just think that, I think that's truly what it means to be all in to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if I dare say to be all into kind of any, any gospel or any faith, I think that it's just, you know, the older I get, and I think we all probably have had this experience uh, to, to, to different extents, the more I realized I, I really worried about a lot of things that I didn't need to worry about. You know, I've come to realize that a lot of things 
that I thought mattered <laughs> just don't matter. Uh, and, you know, I, I've started to go out into this big macro perspective on life and, you know, what what does it really mean that we're on this earth? You know, what what is our purpose as humankind? And I just always come back to we just need to love. We need to, you know, everyone's here just trying to do their best and just trying to make it work. And, you know, whether you're in the church or out of the church, I just think that it shouldn't matter how, you know, how we treat people, how we view people and how we love people should be the same. You know, we are all humans. It's humankind, you know, and, and I, I think that that's some of the most important doctrines that I, that I have really come to feel are super important to really realize and really take that in. Thank you, Zach. Yeah. Amen. That's really good. I guess I'm going to say kind of, kind of the same things just in a different way. I agree with Zach when I think there is, and I can speak to this as far as being in the church and growing up in the church. I feel like there's a lot of worry that goes on with being a member of the church. And I know that kind of sounds like negative and I don't mean it to sound that way, but there's a lot of people that stress out a lot about the things that the church teaches. And, you know, some people do, some people don't, but I just think that the worry is unnecessary because it is about love. Like that's the first principle of the gospel that I taught as a missionary, that there is a God, he is your father and he loves you. Period. (laughs) It's not like he loves you because you're a member of the church or you're Jewish or you're Catholic. No, he just loves you. Period. And so if you always have that in the forefront of your mind, it kind of dictates the way you should live your life. Thinking of it from a father-child perspective. And like Zach, as I get older, you know, I have two kids of my own and I just love them unconditionally. And it was when I had my first child, my son, that I realized that, that if I have this unconditional love for this person that I don't even know, I wonder what an all-knowing, all-powerful God feels for me. And it's, it's, kind of, it's like a, it's a, it's a thing you can't really comprehend, but I feel like I got a glimpse of it when I met my son, recently had a daughter too, same experience. And so I think that being all in the gospel of Jesus Christ is truly all about love. And we have a song that we did in our album that isn't a hymn, but it's a children's song from the primary book. I'm trying to be like Jesus. And the course of it, I feel like speaks out what the gospel of Jesus Christ is. Love one another as Jesus loved you. Try to show kindness in all that you do. Be gentle and loving in deed and in thought, for these are the things that Jesus taught. If you lead with love, you're all in. You're all in the gospel of Jesus Christ if you lead with love. Thank you, Nick. Glenn, we'll give you the last word. For me, being in all in to the gospel of Christ, I mean, from a personal standpoint, I I, I I struggle with even saying the gospel of Jesus Christ because for me I not that I don't have faith in Jesus Christ I just believe in the universality of the Christ figure and I think that transcends most things including the label of 
single personhood, um, if that makes sense. Maybe it doesn't. But I think to be all in to the gospel of just the Christ um, really just means being all in for humanity, like Zach was saying. I think if you are striving to advance everyone's personhood and their well-being, what else can you do? I think we struggle so much with fear and wondering where we're going to be that we forget where we are here and now. And I think that can be a deterrent for for most of us, myself included. So I think just remembering that everyone has their own kind of innate goodness. And if we can look into every person and see that innate goodness that they carry with them, it becomes easier to serve humanity on a global scale. And so then being all in for, for the world becomes a little bit more simplistic. Thank you so much. Thank you guys uh, so much. This has been so fun for me. And we usually don't have three people on at the same time. So it's been fun. It feels like a party. Um, I appreciate you guys taking the time and everybody go out and listen to All Amazed. Uh, You can find it anywhere that you listen to your music and you can find it at Deseret Book now. So thank you guys so, so much. You're welcome. Thank Thank you. you. This was so much fun. We are so grateful to the guys of Simply Three for joining us on today's episode. If you'd like to hear their new album, which I highly recommend since listening to it, you can find it in Deseret Bookstores now or on any streaming platform. It's called All Amazed and definitely worth a listen. Big thanks to Derek Campbell of Mix It Six Studios for his help with this episode. And thank you so much for listening. We'll look forward to being with you again next week.